0: First and foremost, if you haven't already, please go to our YouTube channel on Maximum Libertarian. You can follow us on Twitter at We Are MaxLib. Follow us there. Help us out. Subscribe. Click the notification bell. All that good stuff. Like and share the video. And like I said today, I'm joined by Chef Lili, and we're going to just be going over some uh, topics and from. The COVID nineteen stress. What you should be eating. You can follow her on Rumble dot com at Beautiful Chili, and how to spell that? Is it C H I L I E? Correct?
1: Yes, I love okay. the country.
0: So it's beautiful and like the country chili. So all right, let's just go on and dive into it. We just did a YouTube stream about stress. What foods to eat to help make you more uh, happier. But now, since because of YouTube and their censorship, we can talk a little bit more free, I believe. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the COVID-19
1: cents? Oh, I think it's a big scam. It was a joke. It was to see how far they could push us Americans in losing our everyday freedoms and how we would respond to one another about it. Um, it gave false power to people that already have power, but uh, gave them an opportunity to abuse their powers. We saw that in Michigan. We saw that here in Virginia. We saw it um, all over this California, definitely. Um, and it was just the lo- biggest scam of my lifetime, I should say. And I feel that if this ever happens again, we will know what's up, right? We know, hopefully Dr. Fauci will be gone by then. But, you know, we will know, you know. And I, I know that us Americans, we seem to forgive and forget. But I, I think this year of lockdowns and all the shenanigans about restaurants and wearing one or two masks, wearing no mask and shaming people that don't want to wear a mask and all of that's done and dead. We have been brainwashed enough. And we're, as Americans, uh, I feel that we're going to uh be free cuz we we are our freedom is embedded in us and like we were going to share today about the military and freedoms from that aspect to being a civilian and our freedom as an American so right i just i just feel that this is the biggest scam joke in american history as of today you know today's date
0: Well, you know, one of the biggest problems that we've got here is, you know, now when President Trump had said that it possibly came out of a lab, he didn't know, uh, he, it it was like they all discredited him. Now he's out of office, now they're looking at it, now they're saying, well, it might have come out of a lab. If not saying it came out of a lab. We don't really know. The problem that happens is, we were as much as you want to sit here and paint the picture of how bad China is. We just have as much responsibility if we were sending taxpayer dollars over into the Wuhan lab, even if it's getting funneled in by a different way. Yes, I think what would, I can't remember what they there was a name that they were calling it, and but they were funneling it in. So we just have as much as responsibility. Now, granted, let's just come out and say, hey, it was a mistake. We were trying to figure things out. It would have been fine. I think more of us would accept that. Yeah. I, I think it, we would, but now we've gotten so far out here. Now we're going to be like you put, you locked me down for all these year, uh, months and a year. You, yeah. you're, you're still having all of this stuff come up mm-hmm. from, f- because of it, if it's a vaccine passport to uh, people still being locked down in different parts of the world and different parts of this uh, country here, mm-hmm. you know,
1: But the crazy thing out of all the shenanigans is to see and hear and feel the American people rise up and we rise up differently than we did in the sixties and the seventies, how we were protesting the Vietnam war to now. And when you see black lives matter on the streets, protesting versus what they did. In the 60s, when the Vietnam veterans were coming back into the United States. So, what I want to bring here today is a history of how things are being repeated, but then up the level. You know, when the Black Lives Matter head spokesman lady that bought what three or four multi million dollar homes had to step down, that was Americans saying, Hey, what is going on? You know, right. and it was like the, there's so many things that are happening at once, right? So it's almost like a ping pong kind of game, no pun intended to China, cause I know that's their game, but it's like everything is coming at us Americans. Cause you have, uh, I'm gonna just name some things that are coming at you. You have Vitmax, you have BitChute, you have Odyssey, you have Rumble, you have YouTube, you have all these different outlets that nobody's listening to the mainstream media, or I should say cable news anymore because we've been lied to about everything for so long. But see, we didn't know how long we were being lied to. And then when we figured all of this stuff out, it's like, holy mackerel. And the most famous line that came out of 2021 is Alex Jones was right again. And it's just like we've been shutting up people or the way we used to shut up people was saying they're conspiracies and they're, you know, oh, they're so far out there. Right? Well now in 2020 and 2021, it's we're going to shut you off of YouTube. We're going to take you off of Twitter. We don't care if you're the president of the United States. You don't follow this certain criteria and you're not backing up the left, which is a very interesting mindset then this is what happens. But then, as Americans, we adapt and overcome just like military personnel. We invent BitChute, we invent Odyssey, we invent Twitch, we invent Rumble. So if you're gonna silence me on uh, YouTube, then I got other options, right? And that, to me, is really amazing. But then, once again, we're separating Right? So people that haven't made up their minds if they want to be BML or they want to be a patriot. Now there's a difference because patriotism isn't, uh, dead here. And I don't think it will ever be dead because you, Brian and me, um, we're veterans. And what I wanted to share with this podcast was the mentality. Um, it's really hard to change everybody's mind. And I felt that when we were quote unquote locked down, my husband and I, who's also a veteran, we looked at it very differently. You know, we looked at it like, how dare you tell me what I can and cannot do? That's how I feel. I shouldn't speak for my husband, I should speak just for myself. How dare you tell me? You know, I went to war for this country. I, I was the sailor in September 11th. We we fought and stood up for this country for so many years. And I don't regret any, any part of it, you know? And it's like, to me, when we started fi- finding out what really happened in September 11th versus what the news reported and what the news reported was half-truths, lies and then we there was this video my husband shared with me Brian back in the day um, it was commentary um, I don't know if it was 60 minutes so I can't say it was 60 minutes but it was like a show like that Mm -hmm. and they were basically telling that the buildings around um, the two buildings that fell
0: you're talking about BBC when they talk about building World Trade Center number seven, or?
1: No, uh, there was other buildings uh-huh. that were on a list to get demolished that day, okay. September 11th. And when the news came out, they are saying, oh, this building fell, this building fell, and the two towers fell. And it was just like, okay, that was a lot. But in that same time, there was documentaries happening stating, oh, they these other buildings were licensed to be um, uh, taken down. I don't know what the right terminology was, but they had bombs put in these buildings to demolish the buildings so they would no longer stand. That is a technique that is used all throughout this world to demolish buildings is to bomb them. But sometimes you can put bombs in buildings to collapse the building for safe demolishing. Because back in the day they would use uh, an iron ball and a crane and knock it down like that. But that can be very, you know, time consuming and stuff as well. But it was so amazing to know, okay, so we were lied about this. And then we American people were lied about that. And there's people, and I like to think that you're one of us, Brian, um, that we're done with the lies, you know? Okay, so now there's another conspiracy. Oh, UFOs don't exist. And now all of a sudden they exist. We have known they exist. we were telling people that they have, right? In the military, especially anybody that's in aviation um, or works with, you know, the aircraft carrier on the top side part, which is um uh very active 24 hours of the whole entire time you're out to sea. Um, the only time I feel like the aircraft carrier is not active is when we're in port. But anyway, it's just like we've known a lot of things that were happening in this world, especially in America, for a long time. And now it's like President Trump got... The rest of Americans interested in life and interested in the truth. And that is the one thing that nobody can deny the president ever. I don't care anything that's happening in this administration at all. It's all game. It's all theater. Like Dr. Ron Paul said to uh, Dr. Fauci, the mask thing is a theater. And I feel like this administration is just that you're trying to bring us back to like uh, Franklin Roosevelt time. Everything was staged. Everything was fake. Everything was this, this and this. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like America has woken up and we're not going to we're not going to digest whatever you're trying to spit down our throats anymore because we know that it's not the truth. And one of my favorite uh, presidents is Theodore Roosevelt, the uncle of Franklin Roosevelt, um, said was you can't, one thing that makes conservative people angry is tell us a lie. And I feel that that statement is so much more true today than ever because we we have been lied. Okay, so let, let me break it down, UFO. Uh, September 11th. Um, now, now we're finding out the real reason why we even went to Vietnam, and it's just like all these truths are coming out left, right. It's like we're in a boxing match, pow, 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 or an M A M A uh, fight,
2: mm-hmm. you know.
1: And I just feel that uh, the America that we once knew and loved is now being rebuilt. And it's like, now we're being built with steel. So now, whatever anybody's trying to roll out a lie, you're only gonna have a very certain uh, small percentage of Americans that will still believe the lies. Now, the thing that really gets me is what they're lying to about people about the military and versus, when I say lying about the military, I'll break that down a little bit. But another thing is what they're lying to you about food. Well, they're lying to you about vaccines. You know, now more videos are coming out that saying that if you put a swab in your nose, the swab already has COVID in it. So you're giving it to yourself while you're doing the scrape. And it's just like, what? And I, I'm so grateful for the Russians that, uh, did the video on YouTube, excuse me, not YouTube, uh, Bitshoot, shoot. And basically blew all our minds apart when he did a microscope and he looked at, and he showed us, this is a sealed container. Is that your baby? Yeah, it's the cat. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so he showed on a bit shoot uh, a microscope um, and showed that there was worms and they wanted heat and they they showed uh, other You know, kits that you can buy for this to order to get um, any knowledge of if you had this COVID. And the other thing is another thing that we were lied to about was the percentage rate of recover from COVID is 90, excuse me, 98%. But it was almost like 98.97% of people will recover from COVID. So why are we so worried?
0: Correct. Uh, well, that was just a part of the control process right there. You've got people so spun up that they're, they're still angry if you're not wearing mask, if you're not getting vaccinated. Um, you know, they came out with the vaccine passport. Mm-hmm. There was talk the Biden administration made a comment that we can't, by the Constitution, do the passport vaccine passport. But they'll work hand in hand with these private businesses, which uh, will require you to have a passport to come in to watch a concert or to fly on a plane or whatever the case might be. And that's where, as a libertarian, you know, I don't like flip-flopping at all. I mean, you, I mean, if if I got something wrong and then I'll make the adjustment to my state. But I've seen enough politicians that'll flip flop.
2: Yes. And
0: with uh, me, I've always. I stand by it. I believe a private business should be allowed to do whatever they want, serve whoever they want. It don't bother me because if I don't like them, if I don't, if they're not serving uh, someone because of race, skin color, or race, religion, sex, whatever the case might be. I just won't go to that facility, and of course that restaurant will or whatever will go out of business. I mean that's just the way it's going to be. Yes, you know. I think the free market's the route to go. My problem that I'm having, though, is if Madison Square Garden starts demanding a vaccine passport and the government stands by and allows it to go through, or if these colleges, which are funded by the taxpayers, are demanding that all their students get the vaccine. I don't agree with that. Virginia already started it. I know they have. And Virginia Western, which is a community college here in, <gasps> in Roanoke, they've said that they're not going to okay, good. think. Which is terrific to hear that the community college is the smart college besides well, these big, massive colleges, you know, out there. What the problem we're having, though, too, is um, you have people who will talk out of both sides of their mouth. Yes. So they've got to.
1: But we're putting them on notice, though. You, you, well, I hope, but a lot
0: of times what you'll see is you'll see Republicans will sit there and say, well, we, we support the Second Amendment, and then they will do everything to uh, damage the Second Amendment. Right. So I'll see people, they'll, they'll say, well, we support the free market, and, well, if you really support the free market, then you would be opening up things up and allowing a free market to really decide this. You know that's where I have my, that's where I think I'm having my uh, issues. I think sometimes. Mm-hmm. So let, let's get into the military. You wanted yes. to talk about the military. Um, I don't know if you saw a couple of weeks ago, there was a commission that was put together. Okay. And it stated that because uh, you know they got rid of the uh, draft in 19, I believe 73, and but one of the members who was on that uh, commission. He, one of their big fears was you would not have the uh, like the, di- the, the, the demographic of the public. Right. So, and what has happened is of course you've had more uh, white people join than other races mm-hmm. and also what you're having is the fleet is not fully manned. So there's actually talk that in a few years, we're not going to have enough people in there to do the jobs, which is required. So they might, they've said, there's always a... They're not saying there's going to be a draft, but Mm. there's a possibility of a draft.
1: And as a female sailor veteran, I feel that if that ever occurs, we need to be put on that list because if we scream equality like we... some. Woo! Some of these na- military women scream about equality. Then your butt needs to be put on the um. Has, has, what is that list?
0: Has Selective Service has that has it went to Congress? Has it went to uh, the Supreme Court? I have no idea. Because it was going to Supreme Court where someone was suing to have females added, to where they have to sign up for Selected Service. Yes. Which is like a draft, you know. Draft. But I, of course, cool. we're not having a draft. It's just but. Um, I'm not. A, I've never been a proponent of, nor would I ever sit here and sign off on. Hey, let's have a draft. But when I look at this stuff,
2: mm-hmm. if
0: we're if we're not being manned properly, if we're not, and you you you've seen the fracturing of our communities because we're now not we're not a community anymore. Yeah. And that, you know, the churches have been broken down courtesy of the government. These yeah. communities have been broken down courtesy of the government because you're seeing this anti... Like, they want to be anti-American, but they want all the stuff that America has brought here to the country, the, have brought to people. Now, yes. I'm not saying that the the country was put together and when we were founded that it was... Um, I, I, you know, there things were bad. You know, there was things that have, have happened. But if you go through history of time... A lot of countries were put together. You know, warring tribes came over and took over this tribe, and you, you, you know what I'm saying. So yeah. we need to figure. We are in a uh, crossroads where we need to figure up, figure out how to get back to being a community. And yes. I think step one, I think, churches. I'm not sitting here being a Bible thumper by any stretch of your imagination. I am, but <laughs> because churches used to be that central location for um communities now it's no longer there they've broken down our families you know
1: somewhat somewhat um i'm not really that pessimistic about a lot of the what has happened because i have seen the other side and this is the coolest thing about being in america being an american is when you piss off the wrong people that don't want to have anything to do with any of the fighting and stuff like that. And it's usually us veterans, I like to say that, you know, you can only push us vets so far until we say, hey, we gotta stand up and fight. You are being an enemy in our domestic land of the United States of America. And if you don't believe in that, there's many countries that will openly embrace you. Like, why don't you go to Epstein's island? You know, go to a pedophile's island go live somewhere else, leave our country alone. That's kind of how I'm starting to feel. But when I saw that, um, I don't know if he was a Marine or a uh, soldier get up and speak in front of the uh, educational board saying that he is done with listening to his son, feeling ashamed that he's white because you're trying to uh, subject the babies, children in our school system to believe that white people are bad. That stuff fires me up more than I can ever imagine because racism in the 90s to I would say 2016 wasn't a thing. Right? It wasn't a thing at all. Black Lives Matter started with a President Obama, yes but it was like we giggled when we saw black lives matter. And then for like the summer of all last year, they burnt down all these businesses and stuff like that. That's not an American spirit. That's not us. That's something totally demonic and ridiculous. Now, what I want to share with you and get your opinion on was about the new church, okay? So we have church, right? And I am a Bible-thumping person. I love my Jesus. And there's nobody that will take him away from me. But the thing is this, this new church age and this new stuff that happened started in the 90s, actually, was the punk rock bands and all this other stuff. That stuff, whatever. I don't want to participate in that church. And as an American, I can go to another church, right? Because we have options, right? So when the lockdown came, and we're living in a beautiful state, a state that I truly love, it has gone red, it's gone blue, it's gone red, it's gone blue, so we're all over the place. We're not confident um, as we once were, but I will say this, when I saw some of the churches here, especially in our little town that we live in, have uh, Black Lives Matter flags on it, what God doesn't care if you're black. He knows that your life matters. This is a culture that is penetrating every other culture in America to signify power. That's it. It's just a demonic uh, power struggle. But when I saw the church with the new gay flag, um, I I just giggled. Once again, I thought it was funny. And as an American, I can laugh at whatever I want. And you can judge me, whatever you want, you know, but, um, I'm still going off the topic of the military, but, um, I just want to get your opinion on how you feel that the new churches are coming in. Now, the old churches, um, the ones that I, I only attend one church though, but, um, the church that I attend did follow the rules, did shut down, right? And then... We did parking lot services, right? And then we did radio. Then we got into Facebook and, uh, you know, Zoom—not Zoom, but like that kind of like mm-hmm. Skyping stuff or whatever. Right. Then uh, we opened up again. Then we had every other row. So I feel like the church did go through quite a many hoops to keep up and running. But I'm telling you, when I see church members where I attend at, uh, which is first Baptist. I don't care. You know, I'll say what, you know, where I go. I'm not ashamed. Um, first Baptist of downtown. And I saw, you know, everybody, you know, coming together and stuff like that. And it was amazing. It was like, yeah, God is not dead in this land. God is not done with us. Americans were not dead. Patriots are not dead. We are alive and well. It's just you don't get to see us on all of these uh, NBC, CBS. You don't get to see us there. So you don't know that we exist. But I'm telling you, when you walk down the street and you see somebody that looks just like you or talks just like you, and you, you chime in. It's like that instant factor of community coming together. And because it's not so publicized, Like that you see on YouTube with everybody, media in general, if you don't follow these restrictions and you don't believe that this, this, and this, we don't want you. But see, in America, in Americans, we, we have a different kind of blood system in our bodies. And our blood system says that you bleed, I bleed. We fight for this flag. We fight for freedom. And we'll stand up. We'll stand up right to the next Patriot. And that was something amazing to see when you see, um, these, uh, large rallies for president Trump, right? You got to see what Americans get excited about. And it's, it's awesome to know that there's other people that get excited about the red, white, and blue, you know, that we get excited about freedoms that we get excited. And it was like. It wasn't dead, but it was sleeping. And President Trump just woke us up from that slumber, and here we are. We love the red, white, and blue. We love our families. We love our communities. And one thing I wanna say, Brian, was the best love is when Black Rifle Coffee, Vice President Matt, I don't know his last name, the uh, author of Thank You For My Service uh, book, went and gave $32,000 to uh, a place in Texas for a boat. And because a Republican, I don't know if she was a senator or congresswoman, I don't know what she was, denied the funds for the sheriff's office so they could not get a rescue boat. And then, like, what, days later, um, there was a family that was stranded in a lake. And they needed help, and their boat was sinking. And the sheriffs didn't have boats. You know, so I guess they had to borrow, you know, a boat from the police or something else, right? And that that's unsat. So what did veterans do? They stand up, they help their communities. Black Rifle Coffee wrote out a check for $32,000, even though the boat was 28000 And it was just like, that's America. And you can never... Kill that. You can never poison it. You can never dilute it. You, you, you can't. It's just that's uh um, the community, you know, reaching out. Okay, I'm gonna shut up. Right.
0: Well, if you want my personal opinion of the churches, I think the churches did a bang up job taking a knee when they should have been standing up on their feet. Mm-hmm. I would have never seen them. I, I was shocked and bewildered that um they allowed to be sh- silenced like they were. I understand that they were in a position where um, they couldn't, that they had to follow stupid regulations and laws that were laid down, but they were; these were laws that were unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. And um, they should have, I'm not so much worrying so much about them being completely open, but I would have liked to have seen them have more of a split row, well, you know. I have no issue if it's every other row empty,
2: mm-hmm. you
0: know. But there should have been like you needed that. That was we were in a time when they needed to be there, and
2: Receive the, the, word the
0: church was not there. And I don't think every church is a good church. I mean, you know, the bad thing we've got here. My brother, he, you know, he, where he works, he he was talking to the a pastor who comes in, I guess, weekly and talk to the other guys. But um, he said that here in the States, it's either we have a small church or we have a mega church. We have no in-between churches here. And it would be nice to start... Once again, I think it goes back to... Because churches... And if you just saw here recently, it it finally hit to under 40... Under 50% that we, um, people who go to church on a regular basis has dropped.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, because the state is, you know, and so many individuals want state to be God. And um, that's something we got to reject more yeah. than anything.
1: I feel we're uh, rejecting it, but it's not, you don't see the rejection because it's not displayed to you. Like how your uh, a lot of things are being displayed through social media. Right. So you don't get to see the other sides because the other side hasn't caught up to Well uh, what but what you know I'm what I mean? seeing
0: is my church that I went to mm-hmm. shutting down. Uh, and now they're you know, they finally reopened and it's so much better to actually go there and be even if it's ten people in the room or in that uh, congregation congregations there for the eleven o'clock service, you know, they do two services. They do like a traditional and then they do an eleven o'clock one, which is more upbeat, you know. Yeah. That's
1: what you're yeah.
0: talking about. And I don't have an issue, you know, I'll do either one, but you need to be around people. And the churches should've fought. But once again, if you look at government and when the churches used to have hospitals that would help Poor people with medical bills and issues that pertain to that, then the government comes along and says, No, you can't do that. That You're now going to go through us, and you're going to have to, um, and we have to, the state is now the place. You know, the churches aren't paying for the poor folks. That's why they get taxed, you know, and I right. have no issues with the churches not having to pay taxes. But if they're not having to pay taxes, they should be doing exactly what a church is supposed to be doing. Yes, Going out there, not, uh, preaching the word, and not opening up, you know, helping people, giving them hope and inspiration.
1: Right. You know? I totally agree. Okay, so I'm trying to steer it back to the military. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so can you share with us, Brian, what your experience of being in the military was? What it was, like, can you give us three good, um, positive, happy things that you took away from the actual military career that you had?
0: Well, uh, positive things for me, during my six years, I got to meet some of the most, some some great guys. I was in the sub force, of course, so it's going to be more populated. At that time, females had not been integrated into the sub force. Okay. And um, so on sub base up there in New London, even on the base, there was only, there was... A handful of females compared to male, uh, but overall, I met a whole lot of good people, you know. And you got to learn from some of the higher ups who had been your LPO or your or CPO, even if they weren't in my division. There was a guy named Tolls and uh, he was in Nat. He was with the A Nat, like uh, navigation,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and. Uh, and when he meeting him, he became a chief before he got off the boat on the Philly. And uh, but Tolls, I remember he went and he got into the uh, navigators. Uh, got they they we pulled into port for like two days, okay. and the nav wanted them to paint the sail. Oh wow! And he went and attacked. Well, he didn't attack the nav, but he told him he's like these guys get to be here for two days, and you're going to make them stay on the boat painting instead of being home with their family. And, you know, he let them know. Now, did it change anything? Absolutely not. They still had to paint the cell, but be it here or there. He went and told them... He stood up for his guys. And so, in turn, when I see people like that, I don't... You know, I understand sometimes you can't... You can try to stand up for your guys and you're only going to go so far, but just by him taking that opportunity to do that, that just going there and letting them know on behalf of his guys, I, I always... I was so, like, wow. It made me gain more respect for the guy, you know? Yes. But like I said, the leadership people that I met... I, I saw some bad leaders, too. Yeah. And, uh... But you were able to meet some great people. You get to see the world that you're... You know, pretty much you would never get to see. Now, granted, we don't get to go out there and just tour the place. But for the most... lot Especially in 2001 before 9-11 we were able we really got to see La Maddalena Italy Road to Spain you know Toulon France I can't remember which port it was in Turkey but like when you talked about Crete we pulled into Crete in 2003 but now we're at war it's pretty much you go over there you might have a dinner and then you're back on the boat oh wow you, you know there was not much torn over there you know but that's really I mean you know, I went into the service just to. How old were you? Twenty four when I went in. I turned twenty five, right after I got out of basic training. I was in A school. Oh wow! And so I was an older guy, which not by any stretch an old man, but compared <laughs> to an eighteen year old, yeah. I could still see a, the 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 age de- difference. You know, uh, maturity I, I, level. Yo, yeah, oh yeah mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, I, I, overall, I enjoyed it. I can't have. I have no complaints with it. And because of when I got out uh, in 2006, I started to look at the foreign policy, and I started to question the foreign policy. And then in 2008, when they nominated the Republicans nominated um, John McCain, oh. which I have no use for, oh. uh, I voted for Sarah. I know Sarah Palin was his running mate, but uh, I had enough respect for her that I voted for her. But then when I really did look at the foreign policy, I kind of... That's what made me just leave the Republican Party in general. And look, I don't find... You know, it makes me, it upsets me that people will tell me how much they hate government, how government can't do something, they don't trust any politician, and then I say, well, what about this, character? What about this candidate? And they'll say, well, he can't win, she can't win. Well, but so what are you going to do? I'm going to go vote for the exact same people that I was just calling a liar, a cheater, a, you know, a thief. And uh, that's frustrating to me.
2: Yeah. It's
0: real frustrating to me. But they they also rigged the game. So then, you can have good candidates show up.
2: Mm.
0: You know, I mean, look at it. That that's a talking point. If they're in a position to, well, they'll say, oh, well, you know, your guy. If they meet someone who they know they're voting for the independent candidate or the libertarian or whoever, mm-hmm. they will say, well, you know, that guy can't win, so you ought to vote for him. Th- this individual this time. That's a talking point, and that's sad. That's you know. I want to
1: steer back to your military. Yeah. Okay. So, can you share with your audience here and me uh, one of the favorite places that you actually pulled into port, and what did you do, or did you learn anything?
0: Too? Well, no. I mean, I like. Road to Spain was great, and then I liked uh, La Maddalena, Italy, and i I tell you, Gibraltar,
1: which oh, is yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, pulled. What was that? Aren't they um, part of the UK? They're like an. Aren't they like a territory of the UK? Correct. I think so. Yes. So. That was really interesting, going up that mountain and seeing where they had put in the cannons. Right. So anyone trying to come through, they would get shot with the cannons, you know. <laughs> and that was very interesting. And then they also had the airport. Remember, there was a, uh, where, did you ever go there? I assume you yes. went there. Okay, so you had the um, runway. You go across the runway and you're in Spain. Right. So, <laughs> what about yourself?
1: Okay, so I joined the Navy at 17. I was one of those people right after high school. I wanted to join since I was nine years old. And the only reason I wanted to join the Navy than any other branches, because I wanted to experience different cultures and stuff like that. And I always got to hear stories. So my background is my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my father, my uncle, both my cousins were all in the service. That was our thing, right? we believe in freedom and we believe in America and I will always be a patriot because of my service or whatnot, right? But I do understand that a lot of people that are in the military have a bad experience, but I also wanna let you know that not everybody has a bad experience, you know? I had a lot of growing up to do and the Navy, you know, will punch you right in the face to make you grow up quicker kind of deal. Not literally, just figuratively. And the thing that I joined, um, out of compassion and love and patriotism, and it was not like a family, uh, accomplishment or whatnot, but it was, it was family pride kind of deal. Right. Mm -hmm. And I joined as the first female of my family, uh, to ever have joined, which is kind of cool being the first Right. So at 17, I uh, was in the JROTC program and I did that four years of high school and I really got the history of the Navy versus the history of war and history of America and all this other stuff. and It kind of opened up my eyes to some of the truths that are actually what they were because In JROTC, we actually had veterans come in and talk to us about their service. So that just lit my fire even more to joy, right? And it was also, I had a great mentor. He was a Marine um, Master Sergeant Patterson. He, I guess, retired and now lives in Florida. But this man was so powerful, so amazing, so uh, full of life and great leadership and no filters. So I grew up with a father and a grandpa and an uncle and my cousins, they didn't have filters either. So therefore it was tagged on to me, right? Mm -hmm. To have no filters, just to tell the truth all the time. Who cares if nobody likes you or likes you for, you know, they'll always say that, you know, if you don't want, you know, if you don't want the truth, don't go to her, you know? And um, so I joined the Navy at 17. And I went through boot camp, and I made amazing people just in boot camp. And I became like besties with this girl, Surgenton. Her name was Adrienne Surgenton, and she was 17 as well. And uh, just had her birthday right after graduation, and uh, we wanted to be stationed in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. We wanted to get far away from the East Coast, Right and I don't know if this was a thing when you were in the service. Well, actually you came after me, so it should still been in, um, was the fact that you had three options called a wish list of where you would like to be uh, placed at. And uh, mine was Greece, uh, Hawaii, and Alaska. I really wanted to be in any of those areas, right? Not because it was so far away from the state of Virginia, But it was just somewhere, you know, ooh la la, neat, right? So we both got stationed. Adrian Surgenton and I got stationed in Mayport, Florida, which was awesome. And then we found out we weren't stationed on a ship. We were stationed on shore duty and we were both very bummed because the purpose of joining the Navy was we wanted to see the world. We wanted to experience new culture. We wanted to make new friends. We wanted to see what things were like outside of the East Coast. And so we were talking back and forth, right? Because being in ROTC for four years in high school, we had an option. Well, actually it was just given to us we did not have to be in E1 or an E2. We were automatically advanced to E3. And I felt like that was really awesome and, and um, kind of like a, a step up or an extra edge on us because when we came to our first duty stations, we were leaders already, mm-hmm. regardless if we had been leaders at all prior to that. And we went to our Navy schools after boot camp and stuff like that, and we got to go home and be with our families and then go to our duty station. Well, long and behold, two other people from our boot camp was with us. And we had no idea that we even went to boot camp with them. Because technically you do know everybody in boot camp, but not really know them. Right. Right. And uh, the fact was, these other people was like, dude, I didn't even know you were there. <laughs> you know? Man, I'm not good at observation as I thought I was. But uh, we all were stationed. And when I say all, it was all females. So it was 12, like 12 females came to Harbor Ops, Mayport, Florida. And it was a shit show from the very beginning. We were stationed with boats and mates. I don't know, Brian, if you're, if you even know, I don't even know if you have boats and mates on a submarine. Do you? Okay, so boatsmates are um, the roughest people in the navy. They're the toughest. They are the ones that are probably the most abused when it comes to actual physical work, like labor, and they are probably one of the strongest ones, other than the engineering people and the electricians. Can't get uh, can't get far from the electricians, right, Brian? Right. Uh, so when I went to shore duty, uh, we, surgeon and I, were already automatically enrolled in college, regardless if we wanted to go or not. It was a program that was designed for E3s and above to have a more well-rounded sailor. That was the thing that I learned in the Navy on month one, day one, hour one, that they want more well-rounded uh individuals mm-hmm. now when i first joined the military it was never a female or male thing it was a sailor thing there was no sex or sexuality when i was in it wasn't we didn't talk about that we talked about getting advance in rank we talked about getting um i don't know what the submarines have but um ships have surface and air warfare pins dolphins okay so you had dolphins uh-huh. so when high schoolers because we had to be taught this now uh high schoolers coming into the military we wanted to be the best because all of us were patriots because we didn't know anything else you know so um my first week of college with Serge, was very interesting and we learned a lot of stuff and I was like I looked at her I go I think I've been lied to my whole entire life when it comes to education and um, I really didn't like college Mm -hmm. um, because I really felt that it was so pessimistic and so dark and so angry and all of this stuff right and it was just like I don't want to buy a book because the professor wrote it you know can I can I borrow your copy? And Serge and I were like that. We would we would take classes together, and one of us would buy a book, mm-hmm. and then we would share because it was so ridiculously priced. Now it's probably like two hundred dollars. Back in the day, it was only a hundred, you know. Right. And when you are a sailor, you are not making that much either because we're only e threes. So um, our very first duty station was very sexist, but I grew up with men. So sex wasn't an issue for me. I know that sounds crazy and ridiculous, but it wasn't. And I'll, t- I'll share with you why. It, I was raised to respect men, do not treat them as less, or I have more value than them. What I was raised was men and women are not equal, but we work together. And when I say we're not equal is I can't do half the stuff Brian can do with the strength and stuff like that, but I can try. It might take three of me to do what one Brian can do, you know? And uh, what one thing that I really enjoyed in the service was when you couldn't do something, Brian, all you had to do was just ask another shipmate and they'll help you. Right. And it wasn't a big deal. Now, when it came to the women, when we had to do stuff, they were like, why is there always four women trying to do something? Because <laughs> not all of us are strong like you, Brian, you know? and uh, But it was like, I felt that my service, even though now my lieutenant from Harbor Ops was kicked out of the Navy for sexual harassment. Uh-huh. My Bosa mate, which was the first class petty officer, Uh, E6, went to Captain's Mass for writing things on a chalkboard saying how useless females were. And um, they're just trying to make us feel uncomfortable as whatever. But then I remembered something happened. There was a disaster that happened in Mayport. Um, Tracy told me after 20 years I can talk about things. There's like a liability. Uh-huh. Okay, so we're going to say half of the story because uh, I don't know. I don't want to get in trouble with the Navy. But um, there was a big disaster that happened. And all the females, because we know how to work together, right, in the aspect because we're not as strong as men, and it takes more of us to do the same job. And I will admit that right now, right here. Uh, we worked not 12 hours 16-hour shift to clean up this oil spill that happened in Mayport. Not one of us complained. Not one of us female. Because it was in that moment we were equal to the men. And that was the turning point. Because we were trying to say, we're not here for equality or equal rights and all this other shenanigans that you hear today. We just want to be here. That's it. You know? We want to serve the country like you're serving it. And we, we are patriots. We want to do this. And I just remember this first class petty officer was like, you know, uh, well, I guess I wasn't Chef Lili then, but we'll say my name now so you know who it is. Um, Chef Lili, you are working almost 18 hours now. You need to go home. You need to take a shower. You need to go to rest. And I go, well, do you think the wildlife has that option? And he was like, what? You know, he wasn't expecting Uh, a person that is literally six times smaller than he is okay I was 96 pounds when I was in the Navy to tell him that I'm going to work to clean off all this wildlife so when an oil spill happens uh, wildlife uh, gets damaged obviously and uh, I was part of the team to clean up the wildlife and then I was on a part of the team to actually clean up the debris and the oil right and It was such a fascinating job. It was so much labor, but then it became, and then now I understand what it actually really means, labor of love, what that actually means. You know, I got to see firsthand um, how a team assembles, how we do all these oil spills and how we, you know, who is a good communicator, who isn't, who's a good leader and who isn't. And I found out that I was a good leader. We were getting stuff done. I don't care if it was 2:30 in the morning. I had everybody, you know, lined up. We're doing everything in shifts. You need to take a break. You need this. You need that, you know. And it was so magical in the as- aspect that okay, I'm only an E3 and I'm telling a chief petty officer, which is an E8 or E7 or an E9, um what to do and they're doing it. Right. You know, that was an interesting thing. And what I learned from leadership is the less asshole you are, the better it is. The more asshole you are, the more resentment the people are going to have. And I do see different leadership styles, female versus male. Now, my husband is a retired army. And, um, I, will t- I told this to my husband's face. He's the love of my life. I worship the ground that this man walks on. He is an asshole in the United States Army. I would have been one of those people that would have probably gone to court martial and get kicked out of the army because there was no way I would tolerate my husband talking to me the way I saw him talk to his soldiers. I was like, who does that? Why? Why is your leadership so strong like that? And he's like, "That's how things get done in the army," and I was like, "Okay, glad I didn't join the army. You know, I couldn't handle that." And then um, the navy also trained me how to be a firefighter. Mm-hmm. Um, did you get to go to fire yeah school? Okay. Oh
0: yeah, we. You're still going like to have the. We would always go and train for like the if the boat. Uh, you know, started to uh, bring on water. Yeah, so no, was I was like, never on a
1: sub, so I don't know. That's why I'm asking.
0: Why didn't they ever do that on the same, if they would do that on a surface ship? Yeah. Because, I mean, there's still going to be times where you, you might get the hole, might get a hole. And then uh, we'd do firefighting school. We'd constantly go up there on it. And, you know, they would simulate a fire and we'd have to, you know, hook up.
1: And, That's so and, cool.
0: Do all that stuff, yeah.
1: So I was doing the training for the firefighter and I had two teams. I was in charge of. 12 women and the man was charged with 16 men in charge of, Mm -hmm. and uh, we, we were always, always encouraged for competition. And that's one thing, that's a key to life, is to become competitive. You always want to be competitive and not everybody deserves a trophy, you know, in life. Not everybody deserves, you know, ribbons on their chest and stuff, those are the things you earn because you've been through something, right? Right. So I was training and we were doing the fire training. Okay, so um, there's two worries on a ship. I don't know anything about a sub, so I'm only going to talk about ships. That's fire and that's flooding. Those are the two huge things. And we, uh, Serge and I, studied hardcore about fire safety versus flooding and all this pipes bursting and all this other stuff, right? We're not engineers, okay? Mm -hmm. We are just sailors. Every single sailor should know how to stop a leak. Excuse me, every single sailor should know how to stop a fire. That's just basic. Right. And uh, so we went through this training. My team beat the boys by 36 seconds to stop flooding. So when you had a flood, and all the water that came into the training uh facility in this little capsule that you were in, you had to scoop it up with coffee cans to get it out. That was your punishment for being the loser, right? Mm-hmm. So us females, and I, I told all I go, hey, this is what we studied. You gotta you gotta trust us just this one time. You don't have to trust us ever again, but just this one time, please trust us when we say what we're doing. And we only had literally, I think it was five inches of water. We stopped the water from rising. The men's squad team, right, the 16 men that we were training with, had two and a half feet of water, and they stopped everything. Right. And I just thought that we walked high that day, like, yeah, what's up? girls one boys drool, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, it was, it was, we we're always com- um, in competition. Then uh, in the United States Navy, where I was at in Mayport in uh, Harbor Ops, we had to learn knots and stuff like that because that's what the boats and mates uh, did. And I never knew how important it is to know how to do certain kind of knots because on a ship, we have knots to hold in other boats. They're on boats. And then we have roped, you know, tying so many things, right? And I don't know how to describe, but a ship moves, okay? We move in the water. But then you got to think, not all water is flat, okay? And when you're doing replenishment, which is another ship pulling side of you, right beside of you, giving you supplies and stuff like that, right? I don't know. How did You had that with the sub, right?
0: Yeah, we did. We, oh, uh, that's we super did that cool. one time. Mm-hmm.
1: So what happened was we were learning how to make knots while moving. And um, what is that? OK, so Harbor Ops has small little uh, craft boats. And the person that trains us was a first class petty officer. And his only job was to make our jobs harder. Okay. That was his only purpose. Okay. So I had a father that was like that. So therefore, I never took anything he did personally. So what he did was he would make the water so full of waves that it was hard to make knots. It was hard to, you know, keep from falling out of your air or your little boat craft thing. And he just like made all of us females that much better. Mm -hmm and it was i mean i know how to tie a knot in my sleep like it's that's how bad the training was constantly what kind of knot would that be when would you do this and all this other stuff right so my first year has gone and passed now i lost my best friends in a car accident from the firestone bridge stone or whatever it's called tire treads coming apart this was before the USS Cole bombing. Do you remember the USS Cole bombing?
0: Oh yeah, because I was just gone to sub-school.
1: Okay. So this was before that. And um, I buried my best friend and it was really hard for me because I this is the friend that I was going to college with, Adrian. So we went to college and then after she passed away, everything just lost meaning to me for a hot minute. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was really, I mean, I took it to heart. I mean, Serge and I were inseparable. We did, and we were. We had duty days. Um, Brian, can you tell us what duty days are?
0: Yeah, it's where you're going to be on the boat, 24 hours, standing in the post, either uh, gate guard or officer of the deck, or you'll be below decks for the uh, submarine. And that below decks is just pretty much you're reading the gauges, checking the build, just making sure that you know that what the level of the water is down there, and. That, that was our duty days. And then, if there was any cleanup or anything we had to do, we would do.
1: Yeah. So, I was on a duty day with Serge, and she just made everything that much more fun. And when you, we had kind of like the same upbringing very strict upbringing, very uh, Christian upbringing, very patriot upbringing. And it was kind of like she was my twin but um so i buried my twin she's not my twin i'm just saying that yeah. that's how close we were and uh from there the navy took a whole different meaning i lost my head competitor right mm-hmm. and um we both made first class or excuse me uh second no first third we both made third class together yeah. we both made it on the first time together that never happened Uh, or so we were told back in the day, first, a third class petty officer is one Chevron on your arm and you feel like you're a big shot, right? Until the responsibilities come punching you in the face. Then you're like, oh, maybe I don't want this anymore. But, um, so I made, we both made, uh, petty officer third class and then she passed on and then life just took a whole different route. I had uh he was a second class petty officer. His name was boatswain, um Rosenberg. Now, I don't know what island he was from, um but I'm telling you this man could literally heal anybody in the world. He was such an amazing human being, and I'm still in touch that's how amazing he is. I'm still in touch with him today mm-hmm. and um I've Did been he out- stay in. Yeah, he became a senior chief. So he he, he rose up all the way from a second class to a senior chief.
0: Wow. Okay. But he
1: retired, though. He he did the whole nine yards. And so he really taught me a lot of good things. And he helped me through Serge's passing. And then Golson passed away as well. So it was like all this death was ha- happening right around. Um, And then I told uh, Penny Oster Rosenberg, I want to retire relinquished my shore duty and I want to go to a ship. And so he put me on the USS John F. Kennedy for two weeks to give me uh, an introduction course to see if I even would like it on an aircraft carrier. I don't, I've never heard of this program ever, mm-hmm. ever. I've never heard of any shore duty person could do that for two weeks, but you know, he, I, I didn't, I didn't care. I wanted to try it. And I came back and I went right to him and I was crying. I was like, that's why I joined the Navy. That is what I want. I want it so bad. And he's like, you're my best petty officer. I don't want to lose you. I really thought you were going to come back and say the another. You didn't like it. You know, you're going to stay here and all this other stuff, right? And I was like, no, it's everything that you said. And then. When, once the boat was rocking and stuff like that and I could tie a knot when we were rocking back and forth and all this other stuff and they were so impressed with me you know, that I, you know I just went on and on and on right and uh, so literally that month the end of the month I was stationed on the USS John F. Kennedy permanently and it was absolutely amazing I, I could never oh my god the moment I walked in there I had a sea bag right um we just changed the uniforms from dungarees to a pantsuit thingy looking right? utilities mm-hmm. yeah Ugh. i felt like hillary clinton in those you can see cankles every day and all this other stuff it's horrible so anyway so i report to the john f kennedy and i because i was a third class petty officer i had a rate and i was in supply and was not even two months after that they saw my abilities. They saw that I was gun ho. Uh, Brian, tell us what gun ho means.
0: What well, means you're ready to go. You're you're into it.
1: A hundred and twelve percent into it. Right. Okay. So we were going. I was gun ho. I got my surface warfare pen um, started when we d- went to deployment. Now this is before September eleventh. So, I went down. My very first port ever was St. Martin. Have you been there, Brian?
0: Where's that? St. Martin. Where's that at?
1: Oh, shmoly! It's by, um, like, Florida Keys area. No.
0: It's
1: not by Cuba, or
0: anything. I can't remember. There was one spot that we went in uh, Puerto Rico, and I don't remember what that was called, but they were closing that base down. Really? We, we went down there... We pulled into port. We went, you know, we were only there for one night, so we didn't even get to go outside the off the base. We went to like the base lounge or bar, and that was the end
1: of it. Okay. So, all right. So I'm going to my first port, right? You got to think I'm 18, I'm beautiful, I'm young, and I'm happy, and all this other stuff, right? And then it hits me: Adrian Surgenton isn't with me. And I had a sad moment. And uh, I remember, I don't know if Brian, if you remember uh, Kodak instant camera, uh, those little box cameras. The, the
0: disposable
1: camera? Yes, yes, that's yeah. what it's called. Yeah, okay. So I was so sad. And I was sitting on the beach and I wanted to take this pretty picture, right? And I was like, Serge, I wish you were here with me, man. I miss a girl. You're my girl. So I sat here on like this. Weird uh, bench and uh, uh, Surge. I said, Surge. Uh, I said, Lord, I just want to take a picture and I want it to be so remarkable. This one photo I took has won three uh, photography awards. And um, the caption of the picture is called For My Surge, right? And it's literally for Surgenton, Adrian Surgenton that passed away, but it was like, everybody was like, oh my gosh, this has so much deep meaning and all this other stuff. And I was like, not really, just my best friend, you know? And so, um, moving on, um, I had so many opportunities. Uh, I got qualified in every single weapon that was on the USS John F. Kennedy. I was the first female to ever have that title. Um, and then literally within six months, there was about maybe 30 other girls that did it. So that was really awesome. I guess I inspired other people to learn about firearms and all the different weaponry that we have on the USS John F. Kennedy, which is now uh, decommissioned in 2007. I don't know if it's a museum up north or not. I heard about it, but I don't know if it still is or they just you know cut it up and whatever. So I went on my deployment. This is literally right after we saw the towers fall. There's a thing before September 11th was called Fleet Week. Brian, have you ever uh, participated no. in Fleet Week? No. Okay, so Fleet Week is when all these different uh, militaries all over the world come together, and basically what they do is hang out. Uh, we play soccer, we we uh, box, we do you know all these different things uh, as competitive. Um, and whoever gets bragging rights, usually Japan or America, we win. Um, But Germany won the soccer match this year, and you know, but it was really fun. We were in New York City. We were treated like, oh my gosh, so lovingly, you know? It was such a beautiful experience to be a part of Fleet Week. Everybody got to see um, tours of our ship and tours of the German, German ships and uh, I think the Japanese were there um, kind of like in the mid to the end of Fleet Week mm-hmm. and uh, we just got to explore everybody and, and just like, share the different cultures I remember that's the time when Pearl Harbor came out, the movie with Ben Affleck yeah. And uh, it was we got to see it for free. I got free um, cinnamon rolls. I got free eggs. I got uh, free celery. I got free shoes. I, I mean, they were just giving stuff away. Now, this is prior to September 11th of 2001, okay? So I'm kind of an old person, too. But it was so exciting to be a part of Fleet Week. And, I mean, I, 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 that was my second boxing match Uh, for my ship and uh, It was awesome. I won and so it was just a great experience to be a part of that I was also on the Navy soccer team for my ship as well. That was really really fun So I got to do a lot of athletic stuff as well as you know educational stuff and learning about the Navy so my favorite port I ever hit was um, the island of Crete which is off of the country Greece Right. And, oh, Brian, I, I cannot imagine what it must be like now. But it, the people there were so loving and caring. I got a mentorship where a family took me in. And what they did was they showed me how the Greeks cook. And I got to dance under their lights. And uh, their, you get to see the fishermen in their tiny, tiny little boats. And you just got to see all all the community. And it was just like... I never seen a community so together, you know, and um, it was really cool. I was uh, really, really uh, just amazed by that little island. And um, we went to Italy. I went to Turkey. I went to uh, Bahrain, Dubai, um, Egypt. I went to all of those places. And I have to say, oh, Portugal, Portugal. that the island of Crete was my actual favorite place. And just just, I told Julio, uh, that's my husband, that that would be the only place I would ever want to take him that's outside of the United States. would be the island of Crete. But um, once again, I got to do a lot of different things in the military. And I think the key to having a good military career, Brian, you can back me up if you th- think this is right is to have an open mind, you know? And you gotta understand, leadership is something that is developed. You're not a born leader. I don't believe in that shenanigans at all. It's a constant learning and having that open mind to learn and to understand that there is several ways of getting a job done. And it's not it's not bad, you know, to listen to other people that work for you to say, hey, this works for us better to do it this way. Okay, then do it that way. Be open minded to say that your working people know what they're doing because they've been doing it forever and ever and ever and ever. So they have a certain way, right? Right. And I feel like a good leader will say, "Okay, okay, we'll try it that way." You know, I, I think you them.
0: can learn leader. I, I, I definitely agree that you can learn leadership, but I also believe that there's some people that are their personality. They just they might not. It's not refined. So when they go in there and they see good leaders, mm-hmm. they can start mimicking. Just like in, in just like just humans. I mean, we learn how to walk and talk and do things because mm-hmm. we watch other people. Yeah. And in turn, I think to see good lead. I mean, if you're a bad leader, uh, you can see the best leaders in the world, and you you won't. You know, you're not going to be a good leader.
1: Well, I think President Trump was a really good leader. I really do. I feel that way. I don't think that um, that our president that we have now has a desire to be a leader and it's just you can just see it like the uh, G7 when they had that uh, meeting with uh, the Russian president and creepy
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah I didn't feel that but okay moving on so um, I got to do a lot of different things in the, the Navy versus what other people um, may have had an option to do I did security for the Navy and then I did other things um, as well, and it was just because I had an open mind, and I was always excited because every single day was something new, and if it wasn't something new, then there was drama, and then you had a you know all that other stuff, right? But it was like there was days that you actually physically learned something. Like I learned about engineering, and that's when um did you get your um what did you call it, your dolphins? Did you get that? Oh yeah, your, you okay. have
0: to get them on the sub. Yeah um you're there every ever anybody that comes onto the boat has to get them
1: can you tell us what it is well it's like how you, you earn it
0: well you just have to learn every aspect of the sub if it's forward ship back to the aft mm-hmm. and then you have to learn about the nuclear power you have to learn about like the uh where the fire ex- the you know the 1MCs the fire extinguishers you have to be able to point stuff out, so if you need a call, make a uh, call, you know, to report it. Mm-hmm. You have to do things like that. Now,
1: um you also had frame numbers, right?
0: Yes, there was. I mean, and that was... We used, really knew that when it came to, like, when I had the supply lockers, mm-hmm. and then you would be... That's how you would hunt them down, you know. That's because a lot of our lockers, because the subs are small, they're going to be in... We have some forward and then there's some in the back and aft of the ship, but some of the lockers we had were up in actually uh individuals.
1: Now, on a sub were you allowed to go everywhere? Yes. Oh, that's cool. Yeah,
0: there's... on the
1: ship, you're not allowed to go everywhere. Now, certain rates are like if you did um on an aircraft carrier, people have different kinds of t-shirt colors. Each color meant something different. Like purple was for fueling, and that's their job. Right. Like that's what they do. They fuel the airplanes, or they fuel whatever equipment that needs fuel. And they know like everything there is to know about fuel, right? And then there's people that were in the yellow shirts. They were called the um, air boss or air crew, and they told the airplanes where to park. Mm -hmm. They told them when to leave the aircraft carrier. They assisted the uh, pilots in everything about landing and moving the aircraft. So there's people with very specific jobs, right? Right. And I was very lucky and honored to be, like, for I think it was two weeks, I was on the flight deck working with the mail. And when we get things, because the helicopters brings us mail, and there is things, um, other ships will bring us supplies as well for out, you know, for deployment and stuff like that. But, um, I wanted to share with you about, um, 9-11 a little bit because I was actually physically there, um, in the port. So we had fleet week, which was in August and then September 11th happened, which is literally like two weeks later after we left that happened. Mm-hmm. And we were still, uh, we were not back in Florida when this happened. We were like almost uh, passing Virginia. And we get this call on the, we call it the 1MC, which is the um, radio system that s- surrounds the whole entire ship so you can hear what the captain of the boat is saying to us. And he basically calm as a cucumber. I love my CO. I don't care what anybody said. He was a good guy. And, um, I want to, I want, uh, before I get into that story, I want Brian to tell us what he felt on September 11th.
0: I had no feeling of it because of the fact of I was at, we were underway. And, um, so the only thing that I had was I was asleep in the back of the SK shack, uh, the storekeeper's supply room. And we were lucky because on the Philly, it had a bigger shack. And we were able to actually go to the back and lay down and i was asleep and someone woke me up and stated that uh we had uh there had been a uh attack on the world trade center and the guy told me to invest into stocks and i said why and he's like well the world trade centers fell and so forth so i didn't understand that i was still dazed and confused from waking up and the only thing that we ever got to see was the quarter size of uh we saw a quarter size of the world trade center being the first plane i guess coming in and blowing up and after that uh we got messages stating what uh president bush had said to his address to the nation we heard uh we we, we read that we saw that little quarter size thing so then the next thing is we were about to pull into another port and i cannot remember which one it was but they remember e uh entertainment television that had said that this place was like one party island out there but we had this had been a party deployment the entire time. So when they said, all right, you're going to have to stay out there. We're now going to be waiting on the Seawolf to relieve us. And we just spun around in a circle for 30 days. And then we went back home to Groton, Connecticut. But for that, most, for that time, there was no real... Uh, it, it, it was strange. I didn't get this sense to have that uh, experience. By the time I got back to the States... You know, you had the flags and you had to support your troops everywhere. Uh, the little yellow ribbons, magnets on the back of everyone's car. Um, you know, but it was for the most part... Like I said, it, even now it, it it's strange because I don't... I didn't get to experience everyone cheering President Bush walking out to the mound to throw out a baseball... At New York Yankees, uh, and uh, so in turn I couldn't hear, and so I couldn't uh, experience. I didn't experience it, so it's hard for me because then by the time I got back, let's see, that's so it's two thousand one, still two thousand one. You know, it's not many more months later. Mm-hmm. We're calling President Bush a devil and a Nazi and. We we can have our arguments about we can definitely have our arguments about like I said once again foreign policy but I don't want to go into that you know <laughs> because I really do I, mm-hmm. I mean we have I, have I do have my biggest big 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 problems with the foreign policy we have but uh, no that that was what I, how I felt I, I didn't feel nothing Wow. Well, I mean it, I mean it sucked I mean yeah. I
1: knew
0: that I knew there was a big moment but I. I guess it've been like if I told you Mike Tyson just punched out when he punched Leonard Spinks out in 41 seconds. You weren't there, you weren't watching it, you know. It was like, wow. Oh,
2: that's okay.
0: That was impressive, I guess, you know.
1: So for me, um, September 11th was totally like surreal. It was a moment that I saw every single sailor on my ship come together, we don't care about your sexuality, we don't care about your sex, we don't care about your religion, we don't care about anything, you are a United States sailor today so we had to shut down our ship, which is for emergencies and um, we our best time was like two minutes, that's like 5,000 people in one area, shut down every single door and window and everything that you could think of, we did it in less than uh, 60 seconds that was our best time ever and um, we were on high alert and we were heading to New York City. So we were um, going up, you know, the coast and everything like that. I did not see any Coast Guards, but they said the Coast Guards were with us. So I thought that was pretty cool. Thank you, Coast Guard. We love you. And um, it was just the fact that everybody came together because, first of all, we didn't know what ha- had happened. Um, we saw some clips. Of the towers falling, but when we saw it, we thought it was a movie. We didn't know that that was live television because we never get live TV. That's too awesome, and so we got a live feed. And um, I don't remember what broadcast. I don't know if it was Fox or you know any other you know places that we get news or anything like that. But it was just a simple fact that we we didn't believe that it was real. We thought it was a movie. And then our CO, which is our commanding officer, comes on the 1MC and tells us what's happening. We're leaving. We're going up to New York right now, yada, yada. And everything was just like that. I just got a cat claw. Hold well on. <laughs> I've been cat clawed. All right. So um, we went up there to New York and stuff like that. And our boat is just waiting Uh, We didn't know what we were waiting for, though. So we were very told very limited amount of information, which is at that time his leadership style. That was our CEO's leadership. And then once everything calmed down and we were actually in the harbor of New York, um, he told us more information. And then, you know, he had an open dialogue a little bit and it was... A very interesting time and it was very it was it was a lot happening all at one time and we didn't know was the Pentagon hit you know and was our we have the largest military Navy base in Norfolk Virginia and I know that a lot of people were probably in Norfolk um, holy moly we need to be on high alert because they're probably gonna attack us like they could have attacked us like they did in Hawaii and that was december 6th no was it december 7th
0: December. yeah
1: december december 7th 1941 was when pearl harbor was attacked the uss arizona sunk to the bottom of the ocean and the thing was this was i know that was the mind frame of what was happening and stuff it was that high so we heard that the towers now this is what we heard as the navy people that it was bombed and then the planes hit it. So there was, we knew that the bombs were happening. And so I felt like the Navy CEO told us the truth from the beginning. And then when I come back to the States, it's a whole different story. And I'm like, what? Okay, I still believe my CEO over anybody. But so um, September 11th happened, everything changed in the security realm. And when I say the security realm, We looked at everybody a little bit sideways before we shook our hands and to do any business. Um, I had to go on full deployment um, right after September 11th. Uh, Our ship was getting some new technology stuff, and uh, I got a kitty eating my hair. Kitty? Yes, baby. So um, we are, you know, getting ready to deploy, and... It was, everybody's mindset was America first. Uh, how dare you hit our homeland and, you know, patriots will rise and, you know, America is strong. We are a strong nation. How dare you, you know, try to, you know, who are you to like bully us kind of deal, even though we are the bully. Uh, yeah, Brian and I have the same Same feelings about international uh, encounters, I I should say. We have the same ideas. Right. Beliefs, beliefs, beliefs. I like that better. So um, September 11th happens. I get more training and I move up. And uh, I was like, I really want the Navy to be my career. I really want, you know. I'd rather have the Navy as my family than versus a personal family at this moment. And um, I didn't know anything about Bush. Like we we didn't do politics in my area. Um, So I was very ignorant to what was happening. And because I was on a deployment, we don't get the news like Fox News or CBS or NBC or any of those, right? We didn't have that option. <laughs> right, and uh, Brian's trying to hold the kitty back. Hold him. <laughs> yes, you're a good boy. It's a boy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is your kitty's name? McCartney. Mac. Mac. Mac is just being so cool. But between dad and me here, so cool. So anyway, um, going into the military and being able. To do some of the things that I was able to do, you had to have an open mind, a good heart, and you couldn't take things that were negative too hard or too serious. And if you did, then you you would fall into oh the Navy sucks category, right? And I never had that kind of attitude because my father, you know, raised me to be open-minded. He raised me to be um, obedient to, you know, your leadership. You gotta trust in them a little bit, you know? And um, I learned a lot in the military and I don't think I would be half the person that I am now if it wasn't for my time in the service. And I always recommend females, females, you hear me females, to join the military. Just do it for four years and then you'll figure things out that you would never have figured out if you were in college. And I truly believe that. And I've done my college. Brian, you've done college too, right?
2: Correct. Right.
1: So I feel that the college experience, yes, it's cool and all, but being in the military is cooler, and you get more experiences. Now, yes, there is a high rate in the military of sexual assault, and I want to I want to talk about that. Uh, I shared with Brian beforehand. I was uh, sexually assaulted while well, I was in the United States Navy. And it changed me like it would change anybody. Any kind of trauma changes you, right? Um, you accept it and you move on or you you don't accept it and you don't move on from it. And because the way I was raised, I moved on and I accept that it was part of life and... Was, well, not part of life. It was part of my life and I had to move on. And sexual assault is, is extremely... Um, Not talked about. Now, in the 2014 time, 2015, and right before President Trump came into office, women were coming out and talking about um, MST, which is military sexual trauma, and they were focusing on nonprofit organizations. MAC is playing with a rock right now. It's so cute. Um, So what happened was um, learning about other females that were in the Marine Corps all the way to the Air Force and you know the army uh, were actually uh, suffered from sexual assault as I have and to see how all of us dealt with it and overcome it was more miraculous than even knowing that this was a problem in the military now the percentage, I don't know. I don't know what the percentage percentage is if you join the military and you get sexually assaulted. I don't know what it is, and I don't want to know what it is. I don't want to focus on that. What I want to focus on was the healing process and knowing that you have sisters in arm that has been in the, your shoes. And then um, what I got a weird wake-up call was there was thousands upon thousands upon thousands Of men getting sexually assaulted in the military as well and when I heard that out my jaw just dropped to the floor Brian I was like what in the Sam is happening here you know and um, I didn't even know it was a thing Brian you know because when I think of men in the military I think of them super duper strong like the guys from uh, black rifle coffee company we love you guys and um, that was just you know my mentality thought of that and I dealt with sexual assault in probably the worst way to deal with it um, because I really wanted to become a first-class petty officer. That was an E6, right? Right. E6, okay. I had to ask Brian because we're both in the Navy. I had to think about it. So I wanted to become a first-class petty officer, and I I was really focused on that, and I really wanted to still, to this day, make the Navy a full-time career for me um, Brian, did you want the Navy to be a full-time career to you? or?
0: Yeah, you know, I was playing it by ear. And then when I went in, the college that I went to, which was National Business College, because I went into college prior to going into the service. Smart. Well, come <laughs> to find out, the uh, accreditation that they had compared to the accreditation to go to OCS was, it was not... Um, the number that was not the proper accreditation, so I could not go to OCS. And in turn, that was like a Hail Mary that I threw. Like, if I could go to OCS, I might have stayed, I would might have re enlisted at least for a, a time. Uh, but I, I left the Navy pretty angry. Oh. So, I mean, I enjoyed my time there, pluck a hair on my head. <laughs> That's how close I was to uh, going to Iraq during when it was hot mm-hmm. in 2004, 2005. And uh, I did not like the leadership that was on uh, shore duty. I did not like the chiefs, okay. the senior chief, the chief. I was not impressed with them. And, um,
1: now, are you in contact with anybody that was in your service time? Yes. Yeah, me too.
0: I have about two, two, two people. I mean, I've got Facebook friends, but actually speak to occasionally or on a regular basis it's two people
1: that's super cool I'm a third but we weren't in at the same time well yeah we were but we just never met in the no. Navy oh let me tell you this is a thing that I get from civilians oh my son was in the Navy did you know him <laughs> Uh there is literally millions upon millions of sailors in the Navy as well as every other branch of the service right. but I just thought that was funny I always used to get that oh my gosh my daughter is in the Navy da da da, da, da. So, okay, so I didn't mean to soften the sexual assault. I didn't mean to do that, but I will go back into it just a little bit here. um, so, I dealt with sexual uh assault differently than I dealt with sexual harassment, okay, so sexual harassment was yeah that that exists um the thing so was
0: what mm-hmm? do you think should are you, do you do how how should we do this? I mean, we can pretend that men and women are. We put them in. There's there's a role for for females in the military. There's a role, obviously, for men in the military. Everyone, if they want to go, go serve. Mm-hmm. How do we how do we prevent something such as that? I mean, obviously, it's 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 easier said than done. But it's almost like you know, there's going to be urges that a man and a female, you know, they're out to yes. see the, yes. or they're away from. Their close family. close quarters. Yes, mm-hmm. or close quarters, and. What what are some like? I think what I'm seeing now with the military, it's not being beneficial okay. to making a strong military. I don't know, but at the same time, it's not like I want to uh, downplay like anyone being harassed. Like mm-hmm. we we and we'll, we'll go into this in, at another time. But like with veteran organizations out here, once you get out, uh, that you can join you know there has to be a role and like they're not per, like when when the time came to change they're not changing properly they're making these really rapid changes that's yes. not making sense it's not balanced yeah and in turn and you can give your opinion here I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know but like when Karen Katowski, she ran against Bob Goodlat back in 2000 I believe it was a twelve. That was the first individual that challenged Bob Goodlat as a congressman here in the sixth district of Virginia. And when her statement was, well, she got she well, it was frustrating to her. She made it up to Lieutenant Colonel. Mm-hmm. She was in the Pentagon when he got hit on September 11th, and her allegedly
1: state, her
0: mm-hmm. right. Well, her statement was, and it, I had never heard her say anything different. Mm-hmm. Was. I walked over, they called down 1MC, we need everyone to muster and to come to wherever they said to go to. Mm-hmm. She said it was such a the way that it was said, it was so uh, it sounded like nothing, it was almost like a training drill. So she went back, grabbed her pocketbook walked back over there. Then when they got up there, they see the smoke or and then they're told what had happened.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So they had to start mustering to, I guess, help get people who were injured and bring them over and things to that nature. Mm-hmm. Alright. She said the only, she said she never went up to the hole. She saw the hole. She saw the smoke. Mm-hmm. But she said she never walked over there to see if there was a plane inside the hole. The only thing that stood out to her that was very weird was there was no pieces of the plane. It was as if the wings had folded in. Every There was no there was nothing where it indicated that it like hit the ground on the belly because it never did uh and mm-hmm. so in turn but people blasted her for that they they mm-hmm. they wrapped her because she was an anti-war uh veteran
2: mm-hmm.
1: who
0: was serving and she was never and
1: well, I, I gotta stop you right there yeah okay I I gotta I want to uh, I want to add on to what you just said okay just right there oh my goodness let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, Brian. Any veteran, any person, all all the way to World War II, to June 6th of 1945 on D-Day, all the way to uh, Vietnam, Korean conflict, all the way to Persian Gulf, uh, what is it, Desert Gulf, and all, all these wars. Any veteran that has been in war, actual war, does not ever want that to happen, ever. And when I hear people saying, oh, we need to go to war, da-da-da, you, you, you go out there and you volunteer yourself. Don't ever put out my sisters and brothers out into war. That is, it's not necessary. War is really an ugly, evil, um and sometimes it's run like a business. It, it really is.
0: is. Ger- uh, General uh, Smedley Butler wrote the book "Wars a Racket." He talks about how we shouldn't be no f- closer, no farther off the coast than 150 miles. Um, right. The banks, you know, they fund the war, the build up to the war, they fund the war, they fund the re- uh, rebuilding after the war. But but being here, or there, the question is. Karen Katowski got blasted. She mm-hmm. retired. And how do you make bring women in? What would you say bring women into the military? But see, she couldn't advance because she had never been into quote unquote war, like
1: yeah.
0: maybe boots on the ground, actually, you know, in that foxhole or whatever. Yeah. Should, in your opinion, should fem- should there be a limit to where females go? No.
1: No, because I shook hands, took pictures with the very first female admiral, um, I've ever seen in the Navy. It was in the LA, um, fleet week. I went there and, uh, I support the Navy 112%. Um, I didn't have like every single day rainbows and, you know, cupcakes kind of deal in the military, but I I knew that going in. I had a great father that told me, you know, Hey, this could happen. This is what's up. Right. But when it comes to, um, I'm going back to what I really wanted to say about sexual assault and how I dealt with it was not the most, uh, best way I should say to take care of it. But I was, um, very young when I was assaulted and it was like, I have two fractures in my neck, uh, dislocated jaw uh there was literally blood everywhere and it was such a devastating uh traumatic event that my mind i erased it
2: mm.
1: i erased it by first ignoring it and saying i'm a strong woman i can get over anything i can do this this is my job this is my country this is i did not lose my patriotism I lost a lot of other things and it was like, I I felt like for a a short period of time, um, my identity was stolen and it was, uh, it's, it's so weird, but I literally erased it or put it in such a small box in the back of my soul or my heart or wherever I may have put it and i told myself that i must keep going forward and i and i said it for my family i said it for my country and i i still after all that drama right all all of that i was not ashamed right it wasn't a shame feeling it was i am a totally different human being now i see everything so completely utterly different it was like I don't know how Adam and Eve must have felt when they took a bite of that fruit that was off the tree of good and or was it was a good and evil or knowledge and
0: mm-hmm. knowledge
1: and um, and I felt that I was awake that okay so not every day has cupcakes in it and you know all this you know happiness right there are dark days and I dealt with it by not dealing with it and I slowly progressed into becoming one of those bad, negative sailors. And then I had um, a good. He was a, I want to say Lieutenant JG, or he was a lieutenant. I cannot remember at this point. Pulled me aside and said, hey, I know you. And I was like, I don't know you, sir. You know, and it was the fact that I was sexually assaulted, I no, no longer had that innocence to be kind. Like when I was sexually assaulted, my kindness of who I was, was taken as well as whatever the rapists, you know, took. Right. right. And it was, I had to see when I was in the Middle East, and in Greece, I saw two massive tragedies. And I felt those two massive tragedies were far worse than what I experienced. Right. And to this day, I, I still think that, though. I still think that, too. But, like, you were sharing earlier, right, about um, how sexual harassment should be and stuff like that. And I'll tell you, uh, I was about 110 pounds, um, 4'11. I have I had uh, long, wavy black hair all the way back to like you know, touching my tush area. And I, I, I'm not humbled about this at all. I was extremely exotic and beautiful and young, right? And I know I looked beautiful. So sexual harassment started from day one of the Navy. And because I was raised by my father, my grandfather, my uncle, my two cousins that told me about the military prior to going in, I dealt with it by saying it right then and there. Knock it off. That's all I said. I'm not that check.
2: Right. Right.
1: Those were like my two lines for sexual harassment. I'm not the one. Right. Mm -hmm. And knock it off. 90% to 99.9% of the time, that worked. And when it didn't work, that's when I had to tell leadership. But I was always in leadership when I was in the service. So that is another thing that is different from other females in the military, because I shared with you when I first joined the Navy, I was not an E1. I was an E3. Okay. Then when it was time to make, become an E4, which is a third class petty officer in the United States Navy, I made it on the first shot so then when it came to second class you know i just i made it too you know and it was just like my motivation and mentality is totally different than others because of the four years of see i had the amazing father i have and grandfather in the family that i came from i was very privileged in the aspect of for mentality wise right to be strong to be independent To be part of a team, but be able to have your own mind and your own thoughts, kind of deal. And no, that's how you were raised too, right, Brian? Right. To have your own thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. Not let other people dictate to you. But so that was the thing. In when I got out of service, Brian, that is when I met this soldier guy named Moses Martinez. I've just put him on blast, right? And uh, he just like. Punched me in the face with his words, right? Um, And I went to a nonprofit organization that is affiliated with the VA. It's called the Vet Center. And when I met my husband, I actually went for counseling. And I think I only needed literally maybe two of the counseling things, but I liked it so much, Brian. (laughs) I brought my husband into it and then, you know, other vets and I was like this is the greatest place ever, right? Right. And it helped me because I denied because I never went to the Navy and told uh, any of my leadership that I was sexually assaulted or actually, I can, I'm can. i a big girl, I can say rape. I never went to any of my family members and said I was raped. I never ever said anything about it, Right. So when it was my turn to talk about sexual assault or rape, um, oh, I, w- I was singing like a canary, you know? And I was like, this is pro- probably why I am the way I am. I always have kept moving forward because that's the way I was raised. Now, your father was in the Navy too, right, Brian? Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I know you were gun ho from birth probably, right?
0: He he rarely talked about his military service. I mean, he talked about it a little bit, but for the most part, uh, he got drafted uh, when he was in getting ready to go into the twelfth grade. He went down there to the recruiting center and said, "Look, can I finish high school first?" They said, "Well, well, uh, yeah, you need to finish high school." And uh, he knew since he knew they were going to be sniffing around, mm-hmm. he went he went to the actual he went over to the recruiting station and started to pick out which. Branch he really wanted to go to, and he picked the navy.
2: I don't know why
0: he picked out the navy, but he went there. He was able to pick where he wanted to go, Mm -hmm. and uh, now once we signed up to the service, he would talk a little bit more about it. But I I think he never wanted to be that guy who was like uh, forced being told that he's forcing the kids into the military.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, Mm -hmm. I think that was one of the reasons. You know, he he always. We we were never taught any like anything bad like you know he never you weren't
1: glorified it. either though
0: right he he okay. kept it almost to himself and you know he, but my granddad was the same way he was in World War Two mm-hmm. you would have to ask him like you knew he would talk about it for a second or two but for the most part I don't talk most like guys that had went to war seem like to
1: yeah I don't talk about it
0: you know they don't weren't in and I mean even me. I mean, I didn't even go to war. Yeah, I was in during wartime, but I've never sat around like when they tell people to stand up if you were in the service if at, at a ball game or something.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I never sat because I, well, I didn't go in there for that. Oh. If I wanted it, I mean, I, I stand I, up.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> I did because that's what how I was raised. Look, my father, look, my I'll father sta- did it.
0: I'll take the ten percent off at Lowe's, Ooh-hoo-hoo! but I'm not. I don't need to. You know, think that. that Thank you, Lowe's. That really helps me. You know, keeping my money. You know, I can buy more stuff at Lowe's when I need to repair my house. Uh, Having people just pat me on the back, you know.
1: So I think November should be Veterans Month. I really do. Right. I feel that um, all the wars that we've been through, we deserve a month. Yeah. You know. And uh, one thing that I wanted to share was... um,
0: so, real, oh. so, right, so you went to the veteran center. You met your husband. Is that Julio? Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So now you're so the, you're, you're done. Then you came that that when you, that was over in No,
1: California? let me tell. No, yes. Okay. Let me tell you why I got out of the Navy. Because right. that's a good thing. Okay. So I got accepted into another program in the Navy, right? Mm-hmm. That females just didn't get accepted to, right? But because I look a certain way, and I tell this story all the time, I thank the Lord above and all the angels that surround all of this world uh, for the way I look. Because my looks got me into places and <laughs> got me out of trouble, you know? Yeah. But I'm not saying I look like so beautiful. I looked different or I look a certain way that I can fit in different cultures. Right. Okay, so I look Hispanic, but I'm not. I look Hawaiian, because I am. I look Middle Eastern, I'm not. You know, I have all these looks that I could fit into each culture, right? And I don't know if you remember Carlos Mencia. Mm -hmm. He said that about the United States. Like in California, he's Mexican. Florida, he's Cuban. You know, you go all these different places and uh, you go to New York, you're Puerto Rican, you know? Right. Okay, so I have that kind of face that I when I go to certain... I, I look Greek, you know, on the island of Crete. I look like them. I think that's probably why I got that uh, little family mentorship, Brian, because I do look Greek, you know? Right. I don't speak Greek, but I sure do eat Greek. Oh, yeah, give me some olives. So um, I got to a point in the, my Navy career that I was gun-ho again. After my sexual assault, I didn't care. I wanted to, you know, I still wanted to go forward. I wanted to see where this Navy career would take me, right? And I was like, um, I got accepted to this unit and I can't really talk about what we did or you know all that other good details because that would have been a really juicy uh, podcast. But um, what I can share with you is that I got in because of my looks. I didn't get in because I was a squared away uh, sailor or that I was, you know, a five star shipmate kind of deal. I just got in because of my looks. And then once I got in, you know, I got two toes in the door. Then I got my whole foot and then bam, I walked right through, you know, I didn't even hesitate or didn't think. I fell in love with a guy named Carlos and uh, we got married Mm -hmm. and I had to make a decision. Do I now... At a later time of my life, like, start a family? Or do I just do 15 or 10 more years and I can retire out of the Navy, you know? Right. And uh, I, I I, was totally in love with this man. Like, woo, in love, right? And um, he was like, I really want to start a family because I'm getting older. He was getting older. He was only 26 years old. But anyway... Now that I'm old, now I think that's young, right? But anyway, so what happened was uh, I made the decision and I got out of the Navy. I don't regret it, but I do regret it. I know that makes no sense what I just said, right? But uh, six months after getting out of the military, Carlos dies. Dies. Gone. Finito. No more love. No mas. Right? So I was like, holy mackerel. My life is just a pile of interesting moments right? right at this point i'm trying to keep I'm trying to keep myself together right and so this is what happens you got to find ways to deal with the trauma right well i told you the sexual assault trauma i didn't deal with it at all i just put put it in a little box and put it deep down in my soul and forgot about it right and when carlos passed away My whole life shattered. I didn't know what was up, what was down, what day of the week it was. I didn't care. So one of my friends, roommates that I had, um, because I had to move out of, you know, my nice place because I couldn't afford it. And it was Carlos's. It wasn't my place. So um, I moved into an apartment with a lot of girls. They were all Christians. One was a chef and one was going to be a chef. And the other one was a teacher, and um, you know they're like, "What? What can you do?" Da da, da da And I was like, "Oh, I don't know what I can do." You know, I don't know. And my door of opportunity to go back into the navy, it, it felt like it was, uh, what is it, uh, Zulu'd? Okay. That's when you lock all the locks, right? Zulu. I'm not. Or
0: Echo. I never. We never said that. Okay. Yeah, we did So I
1: think the doors were Zulu shut baby Zulu shut. So on a Navy aircraft carrier or on a small boy uh, a destroyer as well, um, there are a door shutting and then there is um, other little teeny tiny handles that seal the door completely. And that's called uh, Zelo. So I felt like my whole entire Navy career, everything that I did and sacrificed was for nothing. And I wanted to go back in with a desire, but my mentality was all jacked up because the one person that I could talk smack to, right, about everybody, Mm -hmm. right, was Carlos, right? So when he passed and I had, you know, I went into this, it wasn't a depression, but it was. But it wasn't like, I, did, I didn't want to die. I felt like I was dying. Right. Okay. So how I dealt with it was I enrolled in college. I got an vacation. I used my GI Bill. Well, if the Navy won't allow me back in and doing all the cool shenanigans that I did, all right, I'll just move on. And going to school, I met Kareem, Little Ring, Jeremiah, um, Kim I'm trying to think of all my girlfriends now <laughs> Drawing a blank But I met all these amazing people Brian mm-hmm. And I just once again Got out of this shell Of sadness and I got active And um, I didn't fight anymore um, I was a boxer in the Navy I did share that a little bit earlier But I didn't fight anymore I didn't do any martial arts or anything cool like that M- MMA wasn't invented yet um, but that, wouldn't that have been cool, Brian? Brian? If it was, I was still young. I could still get a little ankle twist in there <laughs> or something crazy like that, right? But no, um, Brian and I, we love MMA. I love it. And I, I like UFC too. I love mixed martial arts though. Um, I married a martial artist, so I guess I really do like it. But anyway, so I went to college, Brian. And uh, from there, I was just like, I don't know, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And um, so I made a decision and I went to, um, I went to Daytona Beach, Florida, and I went to culinary school and I got out, I met this amazing girl named Ebony. Now she cooked from the islands, um, of the Virgin Islands. And my other friend, who was a, this white guy, that got so much drama put into him. It was not even funny. He was picked on.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the reason he was picked on because he actually worked in a kitchen prior to going to culinary school. So he had, like, a really advanced, you know, um, competitiveness before we even knew what kitchen was, you know, or cooking was, I should say. Right. And so... I did all of that, and then I got a letter in the mail saying that I was approved to go back into the United States Navy. I was like, are you kidding me? I've been out for, what, four years now? And they were like, yeah, this position's open, and you still have your uh, security clearances. You still have this, 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 and that, 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 and you can come back in. And I was like... I was so excited, Brian. I didn't know what to do, right? I sold my house, so I didn't have like any like strings. You know what I mean? Right. So I didn't have a mortgage. I didn't have a, like children. My husband's gone or passed away, and it was like, Brian, is this a sign or what? Right? Mm-hmm. So, um, I was ready. I was ready to sign the contract again. I was ready to do the oath again. I was like such a patriot, right? Right. Um, I got in a car accident. And I didn't see, like, you know how people uh, proclaim they see their whole entire life flash before their eyes and all this other shenanigans, right? Right. Not saying it's shenanigans, that it doesn't happen. I'm just saying that. I love the word shenanigans, but um, I'm just saying that that did not happen to me. But I'm not saying that it doesn't happen at all, okay? What happened to me was my future was flashing in front of me. Brian, the Navy wasn't a part of it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? What, Brian? And so basically, um, after, you know, healing from my car accident and stuff like that, the door of opportunity was shut again. zulu would on me again. Right. So, guess what I did? I went back to school. Okay. Because <laughs> that's all I know how to do. Right? Um, I got special grants and stuff like that. And um, I got scholarships. But I mostly got grants... And you got to be careful, Brian, because there's some grants that you have to pay back. And, uh, yeah, those those grants are no bueno. But I went to school. um, And one day, Brian, I just said, I'm done with Florida. Carlos always wanted me to go to California with him. Right? Right. He wanted me to see what the West Coast was all about and all this other stuff. And he I know he wanted to go to Hollywood and all that other shenanigans. But um, I was like, yeah, I don't mind. I just got my edumacation and I got my experience under my belt of being a chef. And then, Brian, I was an award winning chef. I have won so many awards and competitions and stuff like that. Right. And I was really pumped with confidence. Right. Okay. Let me tell you something, Brian. California is a beautiful state. It is so fucked up. You can't even, you can't even begin to imagine how fucked up the culinary institutions, the monopoly system is in California. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I'd rather open um, a restaurant in Idaho. No, not Idaho. Um, Iowa than be participating in anything in California restauranting services right okay so Brian how many applications did I turn in to be a chef in a kitchen how many applications do you think I've ever filled out and uh, resumes and two. 30
0: 40
1: 250 some odd um, applications I filled out
2: wow
1: so I have been rejected um, about 260 sometimes, at least. At least, right? Mm-hmm. I got, there's a thing in the restaurant business, Brian, that you can actually work, right? Okay. Um, it's like an introduction. You work for one week in a restaurant, right? One week is four days or five days. Yeah. You work for free. Okay? Hmm. So some places do one day, some places do four days, some places do five days. It depends on if you're working for uh, a famous chef or you're working for a hotel or you're working for a famous restaurant. Right. Not a chef, but a restaurant name. Okay? There's a difference. Uh, it's really... It's silly, but it's there's a difference. So anyway, um, Brian, I got all excited about the being a chef, and I, I, I just went for it. You know, I just went forward. I'm gonna do this. Yada yada. Nobody's gonna stop me. And I've been stopped. I felt like I was pushed down the stairs, Brian. I felt like somebody shoved me in the closet, Brian. I felt somebody just pour water and try to put some electricity on me. You know, kind of deal. Waterboard me. Try. To, you know, I, all these negative things, right? Right, and I still kept trying because that's my military side, you know. Uh, just keep going forward, right? Or like, what was that? Um, Dory from Finding Nemo, okay. keep on yeah. swimming. Uh-huh. That's that's how I felt. Keep on swimming. And one day, I was in my chef outfit, my jacket and my pants and my shoes, and I had my knives on my side, and I saw this beautiful woman. Oh my gosh. Brian, she was so beautiful, and I think the sun was hitting her too, to make her like angelically beautiful as well. Right. And I was telling her my story, and I was like, "I just want a chance in a kitchen. What does a girl got to do, you know?" And uh, she's like, "Yeah, this is a man's world." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I kind of know how that feels. I was in the United States Navy for a million years, so yeah, I kind of I get that. It's a man's world." She was like, "What?" And I was like, oh, yeah, I was in the Navy. And we started chit-chatting. She's like, I I will hire you to work in my kitchen. I said, shut up. And she's like, yes, I will. I was like, are you serious right now? And she's like, yes. I started screaming. She's like, you know why I'm going to give you a chance? Because nobody gave me a chance. Nobody gave, uh, and the chef's name was Chef Michelle. And I tell you, I would do anything and everything to help that girl, right? You still in contact with her? No, not like I once was, no. Right. So I got a job, Brian, working at, okay, because the restaurant closed. And I could not get into the restaurant business at all. I couldn't. I just could not do it. So what I did was start my own business.
2: Right.
1: And I was cooking for other veterans because vets take care of vets. I don't care what anybody says. Vets will always help out another vet. That's just something in our code. And I feel like, Brian, you are a prime example of that. You know, Tracy, he's also a Navy vet. I'm putting out Tracy's business now. But, you know, you're there for him and he's there for you and then vice versa. And I'm in the mix somehow, too, you know, and it's just like I feel that's what what vets we just do that. We just do that. And it hurts me to see vets that are homeless holding up the signs. I don't know how you feel about that, but that gets to my heartstrings.
0: Well, you know, when it comes to a homeless situation, you got to figure out the mental illnesses. Who's mental ill? Who's just lazy?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You've got to, there's a whole bunch of different, you know, because there, there's some folks that just want to be homeless. I know, that don't right? Wanna, that don't want any responsibility I get it, but I need... So I put it's on turn. Well, they can be homeless if that's what they want. But what I need to do is find the guy that... Who who something happened to him. Mm -hmm. And you need a... And if all he needs is a little help up and he's going to be fine. Where then there's some people who are mentally ill who needs medication. They would be fine. They might... They just need medication for Mm -hmm. constant... You know, so that's... That's... I mean... I hate all homeless. Let's be honest. I mean, yeah. there's. N- I can't go up any more sympathetic toward towards the uh, the vet as I am to another guy. I mean, I wish, honestly.
1: Oh, now, I, ha- where, I have
2: it
0: where I have my <laughs> issues. Yeah. Is the guy who went to Afghanistan or Iraq or or, or the female and they had some traumatic issue. Mm -hmm. from either being in war and like the one guy that i saw you know you would have never even figured he was in the military or had any you know he looks fine but when you talk to him he was you could he had severe ptsd Mm -hmm. then there was the female who was uh standing just gate guard or she was standing guard at one of the buildings and a mortar came over the wall and, um, of the camp mm-hmm. over in Iraq, you know, and it just, she lived from my understanding. But as the one guy told me who was there, he said, um, she, she'll never have kids. I mean, wow. it, you know, so in turn, she's got that And here she is some teenager, you know, mm-hmm. and, and in the end of the day, here's war? It's governments. It's the leaders who don't get into it.
1: Nancy they, fucking Pelosi?
0: It drives me up the wall. I, whenever I hear people say I support the troops, but then you're sending them into harm's way. It's the same way as when I hear people say I support police officers, and you send them into harm's way.
1: No, you defund them.
0: That's what you do, you right? Know, uh, well, yeah, that, that's a bad thing. But once again... That, that's how, I, you know, I, I just want to see, you know, my, my I, I hate just the, 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 the stuff, you know. But,
1: yeah, but yeah, I just want to close out and say thank you so much, Brian, for letting me tell my stories.
0: You know, what? I didn't know it was going to be so long. Right? And, and it was <laughs> great. I'm, I'm glad you did. And what I'm going to have to do is maybe come back so we can talk about females in the military. Yes. Not just, I mean, you have a story. Yes. and every but everyone has their own I have a story you know mm-hmm. uh, but what we got to do is we got to start looking at different things such as like I said you know veteran organizations uh, you know if Vet center. yeah it, we need to start looking at these organizations the thing is the military is changing yes and in turn as Steve told me at the Legion that one day he told me he goes, the model of the American Legion needs to be changed. Not just the American Legion, but mm-hmm. the model of all veteran organizations, VFW, AMVETS, so forth, so DAV. Um, they all need to be changed because what it used to be was the boys would go to war, they would come home, they would bring their spouse up there, They would, she would join the auxiliary, the guy would join the post, mm-hmm. and then they would do whatever, you know, now these organizations are dying,
2: yes. you know.
0: And what you and what what's happening is is instead of trying to change it, you need you, you need all same way with the military. If uh, because of our conflicts in like Africa and things of that nature, as you were talking about, the way you looked got you different jobs because yeah. like Africa, we the Navy still don't have a community of a whole bunch of black guys running around. Nope, it's a lot of white guys. And this instead of disparaging, you don't want to disparage the white guys, but you don't want you. You need to bring in some people because look, if I show up in the Congo, if you show up in the Congo, mm-hmm. we're going to look a lot different. Yeah, you, you know we're going to stand out like a sore thumb. So we need to have someone who looks like the Congo. Well, I guess I guess the people from Congo mm-hmm. is an example. But uh, yes, please. I'm glad you were able to come on here. And uh, boy, we do, we so do Brian, good, have a
1: we do have a mixture of military, but I understand what you're saying too, what? yeah. But like on the aircraft carrier, which I was stationed on as well as a small boy, um, there was always a mixture of uh different cultures and stuff like that. But I got that yeah. on the
0: boat too, okay. And that's the one thing that I loved about the military, but I
1: don't I... know too many people that want to be on a sub though. I... <laughs>
0: I met so many people from from Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. from you know different races and religions,
2: yeah. and
0: then when you come out civilian world, I don't feel like it's the same. I mean, you don't no. run into the same thing. But we can get into that on a different time yes. and up. Uh, <gasps> no, thank you for coming on. You're welcome. And uh, so uh, that's it. Please go to um, our YouTube channel. And I'll say all the stuff at the end of this podcast. But you know what? Once again, please go to the Rumble channel for Beautiful Chili. And uh, follow her there. And, uh, you know, follow uh, Well, You're on Twitch, or is that it? Just, we yeah, just focus on Rumble. Yeah,
1: right. focus on Rumble.
0: All right, focusing on Rumble. So go there, follow her there. It'll be in the description below. So until next time, I'm Brian. That's uh, Chef Lily. And we will see you next week. God bless. Right. Once again, thanks a lot for Chef Lee Lee for swinging by. Please go to her Rumble channel at Beautiful Chili and give her a follow. And also, thank you so much for listening to Maximum Libertarian today. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, Spotify, and all the other groovy places you listen to your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at live and our YouTube channel at Maximum Libertarian. That's where we do five days a week of a, a little news story we think you might enjoy. And remember, kids, get active, join your local affiliates, spread the word, and until next time, don't live free, don't be free, stay free.